57. We have one verse of scripture for us this morning, and that's Psalm 126 and verse 6. And I'll read that for us. He who goes out weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you so much for your wonderful love and your goodness. Father, your heart breaks for the lost. Your desire is that men and women, boys and girls, would be saved. And so I ask that in the moments that we have ahead, that your Holy Spirit would flow through me and descend upon this precious body of believers and encourage all of us to be found faithful in sharing the gospel and that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One verse of scripture for us. Um, The subject for our meditation today, this one verse, discloses the central note in the book of Psalms, and it gives us a divine order from God for every church and every Christian that wants to be used of God in telling lost people how to be saved. Revealed in this one verse is a sequence, and it's a divine sequence. And here's what it is. And I came across this from my personal study, so I can't own this as original. But if you were to break the verse down, it would be broken down this way. Going, weeping, sowing, and reaping. Notice that. Going, weeping, sowing, and reaping. And right there is God's divine order for every believer, for every Christian, and for every church that wants to be found faithful in doing the Great Commission. And did you know that as a Christian, you yourself, if you know the Lord as your Savior, you're a witness for Christ. And you're not to keep your faith to yourself, but you're to share it everywhere you go. Now, isn't it interesting that the verse starts off this way? He who goes out weeping, or in the KJV, he that goeth out. This has been said before, but it's so true. The very first ability that God looks for in the life of any of his children is this one right here, availability, availability. Nothing happens until a Christian or a church makes up their mind to want to be used of God. You know, you coming to church on Sunday morning, great to have you here. God wants to use you during the week. Every day of your life, God wants to use you. But it must start with you. You must make yourself available to him. Scripture bears this out. In Isaiah 6, 8, the verse says, and this is Isaiah speaking, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And mark his response. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. There you go. Saul, on the road to Damascus, Jesus breaks through the heavens and audibly begins to speak to Saul. And then he becomes Paul, but his trembling uh, response is, Lord, what would you have me to do? 
God, what would you have me to do? Do you know something? Every Christian should ask that from God. That should be in the heart of every believer. Not just on Sundays, but every, every day, all week long. God, what would you have me to do? Now, I'm a missionary here in Orlando. I'm a missionary to the children in this big city of ours. Um, the kids that we reach out to are very, very poor. Uh, they live in some of the darkest recesses of the city. But I want you to know something this morning. If you're here today and you're born again and you're blood-bought and you belong to Jesus Christ, you yourself are also a missionary. It's true. Every single one of you is a missionary for God. And you know what your mission field is? It is your sphere of influence. It's the people that you rub elbows with every day, every week. Your neighbors, your friends, where you work, your doctor, your dentist. Anywhere along life's journey, when you, where you bump into people consistently, listen, listen, that is your mission field. That is your mission field. And your mission field is unique to you. No one has exactly the same mission field that you do. And these people within your sphere of influence, God wants to find you praying for them. God wants you to be concerned for their souls as to whether or not they're saved or lost. Yes, yes, yes. God wants to give you a burden and a broken heart for them. And God wants to use you to introduce them to the Savior. Now, a very interesting point. And this is something that's very liberating, and I've come to learn it over the years by experience. When a Christian is willing to take it upon him or herself to be faithful in pointing the lost to Jesus Christ, God will look down from heaven, and God will bring people into your life an opportunity that he ordinarily would not, because he knows he can find you faithful in sharing the gospel. He'll find you faithful in reaching out with love. Listen, your workmate, your friend, it doesn't matter who it is. You're, you're able to approach them. You know, I've known you for quite a while, but I've got something I want to share with you. Do you know the great Savior? Do you know about God's love? Do you know that Jesus died for your sins on the cross? And listen, listen, that's for every believer. That's for every Christian. And so many people within your sphere of influence, they'll welcome that. But you must be willing to take the initiative and step through the door. The Bible calls them divine appointments. Divine appointments. Now, the ministry that we have for the children in the city, I actually have 12 full-size school buses. And every Saturday morning, we swing them all over Orlando. If you put your finger on Orlando and then do like a 15-mile radius circle around the city, all 12 of our buses are parked at the perimeter of that circle. And every Saturday morning, our bus drivers will drive out, and they'll pick up kids for an hour and a half, take them to a central location, and we feed them breakfast and love them and share the gospel with them. You want to know something? Every Saturday morning, every Saturday morning, we share a clear and crisp gospel message with the children. 
all the little girls, pre-K to fifth grade, will fill a room, we'll do praise and worship, and then I'll swing in front of them and walk them through the gospel and give the little ones an opportunity to trust Christ and be saved. And we do that with the little boys too. And then with the middle school and high schoolers, all right, we share with them the gospel. You know what God does? God puts new children on our buses every week. It's like our buses are like a big dragnet that sweep across the city. And God knows that the children that get on the bus, they're going to hear about God's love when they get to the Orlando Children's Church. They're going to, they're going to hear about Jesus. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. All right? And hundreds and hundreds of children are saved every year. And you want to know something? The glorious thing about God's word, and there's so much, but the theology of salvation is a child's theology. Children can understand the gospel truth. Charles Spurgeon once said, and I quote, he said, a child at the age of five, if properly instructed, may as freely believe and be regenerated as an adult. All right? Children can understand the truth of God. Listen, not just OCC, but in your life. If I were to follow you around during the course of a normal week, would I see you praying for your sphere of influence? Would I see you laying your life out for God? Use me this week, dear Lord. Oh God, use me this week. Bring some hurting soul my way, somebody that needs some encouragement, someone that needs to hear about God's love, your love, God, bring them my way. You lay yourself out for the Lord. You don't think he's going to answer that prayer. He will. And listen, this is biblical. This is how Jesus lived. Jesus preached some of his best messages to just one person. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the rich young ruler, so on and so forth. Listen, God wants us to live and walk like Christ walked and to live the way Christ lived. And that is being sensitive, spiritually sensitive to all the people God brings across our path. The very first ability, availability. Let me ask you a question. Have you made yourself available to God? Does he have all of your heart? Have you given him your entire life? Listen, don't go through life without doing that because God wants to use you. God wants to use you to further his kingdom and to see souls saved. Now, after availability, now watch this now, then the verse says, weeping or weepeth. Why would the writer, under divine inspiration, put that one word weeping or weepeth after availability? Here's the reason why. Because when God looks down from heaven and he sees us as his servants, God doesn't just want to give us a mild concern for the lost. God wants to break our hearts for for the lost. God wants to break our hearts for the lost. Not just a a mild concern, broken, broken. The reason we're winning so few people to Jesus Christ is there are so few Christians that have a real broken heart for the lost. In Exodus 32, the Bible says that Moses shed tears and he was so burdened for the brethren 
that he pleaded with God to spare them to the extent that God would blot his name out of the book of life. Listen, listen, think about that. Imagine that. We know what Moses is talking about there. Burdened, broken for the people. In Jeremiah chapters 1 and 9, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. The Bible tells us that he shed tears. His heart was as a fountain of water. On three occasions, Jesus himself wept. And the one time where he is weeping over the lost sheep of Israel, the word weep there denotes a loud, just emotional brokenness to the extent where Christ has got his head in his hands, on his knees, looking at the lost sheep, and he begins to sob and weep and just cry for them, knowing that they're going to be overlooked. They're not going to realize that he's their savior. Let me remind you this morning, that was God crying. God cries for the lost. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Not just a little tear down each cheek, but a sobbing, a deep wailing that comes deep from within. The Apostle Paul, an intellectual, Paul wept on many occasions. Acts chapter 20, verse 19, Paul said, Night and day I was with you with many tears. Also, I warned you with tears. Also, I wrote you with tears. Listen, listen. Brokenness. Brokenness before the Lord. Listen, that's how God wants every Christian to live. John Knox, Scottish minister, theologian, a writer and a leader of the Reformation in Scotland. You know, he started the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. This church is because of that movement. I can tell you how he started it. You want to know how? Here's how he did it. His wife, fearing that he had come down sick, he dismissed himself to his bedroom. His wife came in behind him a couple minutes later with some hot tea, but before she opened the door, she could hear some talking, some murmuring. So she put her ear up to the door, and here's what she heard her husband saying, Oh, God, God, give me my countrymen for Christ. Give me my brothers and sisters here in Scotland for Christ. God, give me Scotland or take my life. And thus the Presbyterian Church was birthed. That's how it happened. David Brainerd, that great missionary to the Indians, he once said this, and I quote, he said, I care not where I live or what hardships I must go through so that I can but gain souls to Christ. When I'm asleep, I dream of these things. The first thing I think of in the morning is this great work. All my desire is the conversion of sinners and all my hope is in God. Listen, listen, listen. Men that were broken, Broken. God breaks your heart. You look into the eyes of those that cross your path a little longer. You're able to approach those that don't know the Lord with a dearness, with a gentleness, with a love. Listen, it's how we're to move through. It's how we're to move through. And then Paul, in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, listen to this verse. It says, Paul speaking, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now listen, 
Think about this. When do we see Paul prefacing a statement with these words? I tell you the truth in Christ. Well, Paul, we wouldn't think you'd do anything but that. I lie not. Okay? My conscience bury me witness in the Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness. What in the world is going to come next? And here it is. That I wish that I myself could be separated from my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow. Great heaviness and continual sorrow. There was an undercurrent of brokenness in Paul's life, and it changed his life. It's what gave him the motivation to move out and proclaim the gospel at all cost. That's what God wants for this church. That's what God wants for you. You ask God to break your heart for your sphere of influence? He will. And then you'll begin to approach them. And God's love and concern will flow from your heart right into theirs. Proverbs 24, 10 and 11, I'll read it for you. The Bible says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Listen, listen, it starts off this way. If you faint in the day of adversity, what is the day of adversity? The day of adversity is every day that we take it upon ourselves to be faithful and live for Christ. The day of adversity is every day we keep the bloodstained banner high. But notice it says this, it says, rescue those who are being taken away. Hold back those that are stumbling to the slaughter. Well, that's certainly not talking about believers. It's talking about those that are lost. Rescue them. Rescue them. We're on a rescue mission in representing Christ in this world. Rescue them and hold them back. Do everything you can to love them to Christ. Spurgeon again, and I quote, a very alarming quote this one is. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he says this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees and ankles, imploring them and begging them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our most earnest exertion and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Imagine if the average believer lived that way. Think about that. God wants you to get in the face of people that are lost. God wants to use you to love them. And you know, when you share the gospel, what you're doing is you're warning them. And listen, it's just what a lost world needs. Opportunity means obligation. When God gives us an opportunity to witness to someone, we are obligated to do so. Robert Murray McShane, also a Scottish preacher, died at the age of 29. He once said this. He said, life would lose half its joys were it not for the hope of saving souls. And listen, all these quotes that I give you, right? They're from Reformed pastors. These are men that adhered to the doctrines of grace, and yet they were broken. Broken. 
passionate about reaching the lost. God's spirit flowed through them. Life would lose half its joys were it not for the hope of saving souls. That's where God's people need to be found. But unfortunately, where do we find modern day Western cultural Christianity? We could substitute words like this with Mr. McShane's quote. Life would lose half its joys, not for the hope of saving souls, but rather this. Life would lose half its joys were it not for the hope of the accumulation of wealth. No one should run after money. The accumulation of wealth and having assets and resources is not as important as just kingdom work. And we should never put a desire for personal wealth above that of being used of God to labor for the true treasure. The true treasure. Or how about this? Life would lose half its joys were it not for the hope of having more things. Having more things. A bigger house. We need a bigger house. A brand new car. All right? The biggest TV. All right? The the most up-to-date technology. Life would lose half its joy were it not for the hope of that. Or how about this one? Life would lose half its joy were it not for the hope of leisure, more leisure, entertainment, relaxation, and amusements. Eat, drink, and be merry has infiltrated the average church in America. And it's to our shame. It's taking us down. It's not pointing us in a good direction. Listen, listen. There's nothing wrong with family vacations. I take them. R&R in moderation. God gives us Sunday, the Sabbath day for rest. But listen, we're not to live down here the way we're going to live up there. The Bible says that when we get up to heaven, we will be able to enter into rest. So what's the implication? The implication is that we serve God, that we serve God, and we give him our all while we're here on planet Earth. Life is not about shady nooks, downy feathered pillows, lemonade, hammocks on the porch. Life is about service to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to be used of him to warn the lost and do everything we can to bring our sphere of influence to Christ. A leader among men once said this. He said, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear, is the moment that he's worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle victorious. Listen, we ought to serve God with such vigor and strength that by the time we get to heaven, we're out of breath. In front of heaven's gates, we're on our faces. Sword in one hand, shield in the other, and God's got to send a couple angels out to pick us up and put our arms around their shoulders and walk us into heaven. Walk us into heaven. And though our bank accounts be glutted with deposits, we need to be found laboring tirelessly for the true treasure of God, and that is souls. That is souls. The kids that we bring in on Saturday mornings, they'll tumble off our buses And the little girls will be wearing their mother's shoes. Or a young man will be wearing his dad's shirt. 
and their clothing will be tattered and their hair disheveled and they're broken, they're hurting, they're hopeless. And you see them and it just takes a few moments to realize what you have in front of you. A crowd of gutter snipes. These children are street waifs, little ragamuffin children, but they are precious in the sight of God. You take a five-year-old little girl that lives on the outskirts of Orlando, whose life is characterized by squalor, neglect, hopelessness, all right? And that little girl's soul is worth more than all the money and all the banks in all the world. And if you were to take the world's trillions and bundle it all together and use it to bring a teenage boy to Christ, the money would be well spent. The money would be well spent. Take Mozart's most glorious symphonies. Most glorious symphonies. And Michelangelo's finest marble sculpture. And some of the most beautiful Rembrandts and Monet's and Da Vinci's and line them up. And it all pales in comparison to the masterpiece of just one child, one little boy or girl. You would agree with me, surely, and with Melanchthon, the great scholar and poet of the Reformation. He delivered a center shot when he made this remark once. He said, rightly to train one youth is a greater achievement than the military conquest of Troy. Rightly to win one little boy or girl to Christ and set his or her feet on the ways of righteousness and goodness and usefulness, there's no price you can put on that. None whatsoever. And that's where the Orlando Children's Church lives. Going into the deepest recesses of the city. I could take you to places where you wouldn't go in. You wouldn't let your children go in. Terrible, broken down, trailer parks, Coalition for the Homeless, extended stay motels. Oh, there hunt, there's thousands of kids throughout Orlando that are lost and they're in need of Jesus Christ. OCC is in its 16th year of doing ministry. We started with just nine little kids, but now we have a dozen buses and 300 children that come in every week. I need someone to buy me a building. We bust these little kids into a small church in Maitland, but the Geneva School is going up for sale in about a year and a half. John Riley, who chairs the board on the Board of Governors, said he would sell the school to me, to the kids of Orlando. He'd give us first shot. We're sustainable. We have enough coming in that if we were to occupy the building, we would be able to meet our needs financially. But the price, the price tag is a cool $5 million. Pray with me as we believe God, as we believe God for that miracle. Pray that God somehow, some way, would touch the heart of a person or persons and use that building as a spiritual launching pad 
to rescue lost children for years to come in greater Orlando. Greater Orlando. Have you heard George McDonald's poem? I share the poem and we'll be done. George McDonald's poem entitled, What I Said and What Christ Said. Have you heard the poem before? Have you heard the poem before? Here's the poem. And this is for all of us this morning. I said, let me walk in the field. He said, no, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers but a crown. I said, but the air is thick and fogs availing the sun. And he said, but souls are sick and souls in the dark undone. I said, but the skies are black. There's nothing but noise and din. And he wept as he sent me back. There is more, he said. There is sin. I said, I will miss the light. And friends shall miss me, they say. And he said, choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? It will not seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. And I cast one look at the field and I turn my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? And into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he. And I walked in a light divine, the path I was afraid to see. Christ is worthy of your all. Christ is worthy of your utmost. God wants to use every one of you in here. He wants you to live for him. He wants you to surrender your life to him. He wants you to be before him in brokenness and contrition. And give him your whole life. And tell him that you're his. And that you'll let him take you the direction of his choice. Listen, listen. Don't put your Christianity in cruise control. And just sort of float. Make yourself available to God. Lay your life down for him. Be involved in the lives of these precious little broken-hearted kids that we bus in on Saturday mornings. You can come. You can volunteer. We're always in need of clothing and socks and things like that. We go down to age four, pre-K, all the way up to 12th grade high school. A lot of times you'll see a volunteer in the morning moving through with a child in their arms. And there's tears coming down the cheek of the volunteer because they know what they have in front of them. Whenever I speak to the little girls and I'll swing in front of them and I'm looking at 75 pairs of eyes. 
and takes you all of a moment to realize what's in front of you. And you graciously share the gospel. And you offer the hope of Christ. Let us be found there. Let us be found there. The Geneva School for Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Bow your heads. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, I want to thank you for your wonderful love. God, you're so good. And God, you love lost people so much more than we do. Lord, I pray for everyone in this sanctuary this morning that you would use all of them to further your cause and enlarge your kingdom and to lay their life down in humble service for you. God, just move, touch hearts, have your way. Lord Jesus, be glorified. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.